It's important to not just have an idea, but actually to implement it because that's the difference between success and failure. But you don't always get to succeed. It's important to understand that that's not what's going to define you. You just have to keep going. How did it start? How did you come up with your ideas? I started a call center at the age of, I think, 1920. And then we went up to like $50,000, $100,000 in revenue. Then from there, I crashed and burned it to the ground where it was making maybe like $5,000 because I got uninterested. Whenever those situations happen when I feel like completely out of my depth and, and things are not going the way that I want them to. I try to reconnect with my base purpose. Like, why did I get into this? What was the reason? And for me, it was my family and, and it suddenly becomes easier. What three tips would you give to anyone who's just starting? If you can get yourself in that uncomfortable situation every day, then whenever the time comes when you're super comfortable, you're going to crave discomfort. And trust me when I say this, growth comes from discomfort welcome to the culture and podcast where we connect business to human behavior i'm nurchinardan lovlar brand and culture expert and your host and today i'm joined by someone who is a very inspiring entrepreneur young co-founder and cmo of a very successful company tecravol and his thoughts i believe is going to inspire many of us in the leadership roles as well as if you are aspiring to start your own business. Welcome, Abir. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's start. I know you a little bit, but I would like you to tell us about your story a little bit, especially in the journey of entrepreneurship and changing through cultures and expanding uh, to become a global uh, brand um, uh, that you are. How did it start? How did you come up with your ideas? Um, so I guess, um, I don't know, like I, I guess I, I've always sort of had ideas. Uh, and um, I think for me, like, uh, it's important to not just have an idea, but actually to implement it because that's the difference between success and failure. Um, but you don't always get to succeed. Um, it's important to understand that that's not what's going to define you. You just have to keep going. Um, so I think I had like, and that's sort of what, how I want to start perhaps, um, that I had my, uh, first entrepreneurial failure because I've obviously had several, but like the first entrepreneurial fail failure was when I was eight when I started. Okay. That's good to start early and <laughs> fail early on. Yeah, uh, inconsistently. Uh, so that was when I started a library at home um, because I used to read a lot of books and I was like, well, they're just sitting there after I read them, so what do I do with them? So how about we start a subscription model for all the neighbors in the in our neighborhood? Um, that did not really go well. I think I had like maybe 20, 30 subscriptions. And I was like, this is not, although like it was good pocket money, um, but I think I priced it wrong or wasn't really looking at the right, right crowd because, the, I mean, at eight years old, um, there are not a lot of people that read. Um, so, so that was a failure. And then the second failure was uh, when I was 13 um, and I wrote a novel. Um, and it was just like one of those things where I was like, you know, I, started, I used to read a lot of novels. I was like, I could write one. So I broke my leg and I was like, I'm stuck at home for like 15 days. I can't move. So I might as well write something. So I wrote a novel 200 pages long and I converted 200 that pages long at the age of 13. Yeah, it was, I mean, uh, so 
I, I think I kind of discussed this earlier. Um, I have ADHD. So like one of the components of ADHD is like hyper focus. So when you get hyper focus, like nothing exists around you. Right. So, uh, yeah. So like I started writing and I just kept writing. And then eventually when I, my leg got fixed and stuff and I could move, I was like, okay, I've written 200 pages. Um, so then I was like, okay, nobody's going to read this. Cause I had already sort of learned from my first experience that you can fail by just depending on reading. So I convert that into an audiobook. Um, the problem is like back then we used to have cassette players and, you know, um, you have to like, in order for you to, uh, sort of record, it doesn't really come out really good. Like with those small little cassette players, seed discs, um, and then that failed. Nobody bought them. People, a lot of people laughed at me. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to buy a typewriter somehow, scrounge up some money to buy a typewriter and write a proper novel so people can read it, publish it. Um, couldn't really, uh, stick to that regime of saving. So I did not end up buying a typewriter. And then, um, I think my, uh, first success failure in the sense that people would define it as success, but for me it was a failure was when I started a call center at the age of, I think, 19, 20. Um, and then we went up to like, I think, um, run about um, probably like 50, 100,000 dollars in revenue. And then I was, then from there, I crashed and burned it to the ground where it was making maybe like $5,000 annual revenue because I got uninterested. Um, so I think like so far, like throughout this sort of progression of having a lot of failures, has taught me what to tweak. And most of it has been in my own mindset and sort of uh, changing with the environment itself. Um, and and e- even after Tech Revel, uh, which is now, you know, worth $30 million and sort of other ventures that we have as well, aside from Tech Revel, um, I realized that it doesn't mean that once you succeed, you're going to keep succeeding. We've had several other um, devastating failures throughout with the different sort of businesses that we acquired or businesses that we built up. Um, so I guess the short answer to it as well, uh, to what you asked, um, is that, um, when did my journey start? I think my journey probably started when I was born. Like just, you know, just my mind ticks differently. Mm -hmm. You always had some ideas and most of them you wanted to try. And, um, I heard you say that I lost interest. So what happens as a, as a, as a business owner or, or an entrepreneur, uh, when you lose interest, is you think this is um, or the passion of the founder is one of the key in- ingredients for success? I think is the uh, the biggest ingredient to our success because you have to think about from a standpoint. Unless you're like an, uh, I'm sorry, I should probably explain that part. Um, you have employees, right, that work with you, or you have uh, you know uh, people that you employ for a certain task or whatever. Um, they uh, start like everything starts with you right so they look up to you as their leader to kind of define where you're heading or what you're doing um and even if when times are tough if you can make it seem like everything's okay and and we have uh, a brighter future ahead like you're just going through this dark dark tunnel with light at the end of the tunnel uh people can believe that and they can get inspired by that Mm -hmm. so it's it's ultimately important how you uh, position yourself, how you uh, sort of interact with people and what kind of vibes you're giving um, to an extent where when I have really, really, really bad days, when I'm like super depressed and everything's like, you know, 
everything feels bad, I would not go to the office because I don't want them to see that side of me. Um, so I would work from home and I would mask it better because like a lot of things are given out uh, when you're from your physical sort of appearance. But to your point, um, you mentioned earlier, um, what happens when you lose uh, interest? Um, I think, um, I mean, honestly, like, I don't feel like that's completely in your control because um, sometimes it could be the situation that you're in. Sometimes it could be some some other sort of mental uh, war that you're, uh, you know, sort of having. Uh, what helps me is to change my focus. So um, whenever I feel like, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've sort of lost the focus or lost the energy to kind of keep moving forward. Uh, because like, I mean, as part of an entrepreneur's life, there's, there's going to be downs, right? Like, um, most of the time there's downs, like 90% of the times, like 10% of the time that they're ups, you're like, this isn't enough. You have to keep going further. So even the ups don't feel like an up. Um, but when the down comes, you have to realize what's your purpose. Um, and I know it sounds kind of like very philosophical and, and everybody say it, says it, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that one thing that you feel like it's going to define you. It could be something where you feel like it could be an objective truth. So I'll give an example. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so whenever I feel like I'm having um, a, a group of sort of bad situations, what I would do is and we have uh, Revel Impact, which is our nonprofit side of the business, um, where we help a lot of nonprofits to kind of uh, you know, uh, for investments or for, uh, you know, donations. Um, uh, we recently adopted a school with the Citizen Foundation as well. Um, so so basically what I would do is I would call one of our uh, delegations from these nonprofit institutes and I would listen to the stories of, 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 of the people that we're providing for. So uh, in our case, most of, most of them are kids. And I would listen to their stories and like, you know, these kids are eight, nine, ten years old and, and, uh, when they define their life's purpose and, and their life's purpose is they want to help their mom or they want to help their brother who is providing for the family or they want to help their sister, um, you know, who they're inspired by. Uh, you realize that all of this, you know, really supreme sort of vision that you have of, I don't know, I mean, whatever your purpose is, it could be getting a freaking Lamborghini or I don't know, like scaling your business to a trillion dollars or whatever those like, um, grandiose perspectives that you have, um, it all leads back to something very, very basic. And when I hear those words from those kids, I realize that you also have a very, very basic need. You want to provide for your family. You want to provide for people around you. You want to provide for your employees. And then I'm able to reconnect. So the last discussion that I had with these kids, uh, I was telling them that I... I'm sorry that I called you here, but it was for a very, very selfish reason. Um, it was not to, for you to listen to my story and get inspired, but to listen to your story and be inspired. Um, so whenever those situations happen, when I feel like, you know, I'm uh, completely out of my depth and, and things are not going the way that I want them to, um, I try to reconnect with my base purpose. Like, why did I get into this? What was the reason and for me, it was my family, and, and it suddenly becomes easier. Wow, that's really powerful. So um, what kept, keeps you going is to be able to keep grounded in your initial, uh, initial purpose 
and then also everything that you're doing through the nonprofits or um, everything that you start in terms of helping. Um, and when you do think that you lose your track, that kind of brings you back to uh, understanding why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. So um, and there's a lot of examples that I consider sometimes. So I remember when I was uh, when I started the call center and we were doing really well, uh, like before, actually, we started doing well. I, I remember I used to like have this sort of uh, I mean, you hear this a lot, like this founder story where I had to walk like three miles to get to my office. <laughs> but that really happened. Right. Like I didn't have money for even bus fares. Um, we had like a rough patch um, when I was growing up uh, in my family. So. Um, so I started this thing, uh, weaseled my way into this thing. It's the more likelier term. It's a story for another day. But um, once I was a sweat equity partner, I had to kind of, uh, you know, like walk a lot uh, to get to my office. And, and people that I was employing had cars and bikes and stuff. And I like did not even have a ride. I didn't tell this to people uh, at that time. Obviously, they can't see their boss like, you know, uh, like having that sort of adversity. Um, but whenever things start to become, uh, when I start to feel like I'm getting too comfortable or when I feel like everything's going my way, I would put myself into that situation sometimes where I would walk or I would go to a place which is not really, uh, that glamorous or I've put myself, I, I try to put myself back in that situation where I had nothing and that's where I had to come from. And, and Honestly, in more cases than not, um, we need to realize that we need to reconnect with that because um, we can get lost in the trivialities of life and, and start to kind of uh, zone out of what our original purpose is. And I've seen so many people that have got, gotten caught up in their success that they don't realize that this is not the end. This is not the summit that you're supposed to climb. There's another one out there. You have to think from a perspective that, you know, you're still at the base. Hmm. So I, I hear a lot of tips actually, but if I like if I were directly ask you, what three tips would you give to anyone who's just starting or having that vision? So I heard that you said um, really ground having a grounded purpose as an individual and having that connection of finding meaning in what you're doing beyond making money or growing the business. Uh, the second tip I heard from you just now is that like to understand that there is there is no destination to arrive at. It's an ongoing journey. Then if you climb somewhere, there, there is another bigger mountain somewhere to climb. Uh, and what helps you with that is to remind yourself how you started and even put yourself in that kind of difficult situation to remember probably what you have accomplished as well as understanding uh, the perspective there is so much more to do um, what other tips would you give like what's really helps you uh, going or what kind of help you to break through from failure to success I'd love to say that there is uh, one tip that helps everybody you know I'd use this Lord of the Rings example tell of one me I'm ring curious now I need to know I'd, that tip I'd love to say that but I don't think there is one because oh. Um, for everybody, I think there's a different sort of uh, struggle and a different sort of war uh, that they have to go through. Uh, and everybody's circumstances are different. Um, so they might. So I'll, I'll tell you what works for me. Um, and maybe you can apply this. Um, 
But for me, uh, and this is something that I've recently realized, uh, but it's one of those things where you keep doing it, but you don't really know what you're doing. But then you find uh, people that inspire you and then you realize, hey, this is something that I've been doing all the all the time. Um, so for me, I think uh, one of the tips is um, putting myself through adversity, uh, putting myself out of my comfort zone, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, how that works is I start my day with a cold shower um, and I do ice baths like two, three times a week. Um, and obviously that that's not comfortable, but that kind of reminds me that, you know, I just uh, whenever something comes that. Uh, so the, the way I kind of draw on that is whenever something happens to me that is super uncomfortable, I go and think that it's it's OK. Like, you know, hmm. when you when you put yourself through, um, you know, a situation where, where your your whole sort of brain is telling you that get get out, get you know, this is not for you. Uh, and you still push yourself and that's when you kind of realize that you have a lot more potential so whether it's you know skydiving which i've done or you know like a bunch of other sort of things that i i keep pushing myself towards um it allows me to test my limits and understand that i have more to offer than just um in general so i feel like having so and, and this is one of the things that i i feel Uh, If I could impart to most people, um, it would be this, that, you know, putting uh, the the best quality that you can acquire as an entrepreneur is have that endurance because times are going to get tough. Like um, and and it's going to be a situation where you don't want it to be. It's not all rosy like, you know um it's it's on the outside it looks glamorous and you're making a lot of money and you're super successful or popular or whatever but like on the inside it's a constant struggle and on the inside the fact that you're your own boss and you have to push yourself every time uh and nobody's telling you to do something but you still have to kind of uh you know move yourself from the position that you're super comfortable in to make yourself uncomfortable again and that's when you get your growth so if you can get yourself in that uncomfortable situation every day, somehow or the other, it could be like intensive workout, it could be an ice bath, it could be whatever, right? Whatever works for you. If you can do that for yourself, then whenever the time comes when you're super comfortable, you're going to crave discomfort. And trust me when I say this, that growth comes from discomfort. Unless And, and you can tie this up throughout your life. The biggest um times in your life that brought about a change that made you who you are right now were the most uncomfortable times so if you can learn that if you can learn to stay uncomfortable then imagine the kind of growth that you can have Mm -hmm. um i think for me that's that's resonated with me really powerfully uh, for the past few years i guess okay that that's very interesting so you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and you can actually practice this to be able to apply it in maybe in your work or entrepreneurship journey you have created small daily practices to be uncomfortable and to be okay with it so that when it when the time comes that you're uncomfortable at work or in kind of business decisions that you need to make you're a lot more prepared for it mentally it's kind of like a mental workout Hmm. I didn't think of that, but yeah, perhaps. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely resonates with me too. Um, so tell us a little bit about like the idea of digital transformation that you created. I, I think you're one of the co-founders of 
uh, Tech Revol, and uh, you're also the CMO, and and uh, we are all speaking about um, uh, as I would say a brand. Uh, specialists or uh, have a lot of passion uh, this is how this podcast started as well so the whole idea is to connect the human behavior um, to business so how did you come up with this idea how do you see the new generation um, uh, being so digitally native uh, what are the needs, how are this changing, and how does TechRevol, now being an extremely successful company, um, playing the game to win? That was a lot of questions. Uh, you can I break guess. them down, so sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so I think uh, um, there wasn't like an aha moment, um, and, and uh, for most of the founders out there, uh, my lesson to them would be stop waiting for that aha moment just do it uh, at the end of the day um you know, implementation beats ideas every turn uh, like you don't have to be the first mover you could just you know be the second or third or whatever um what matters is how you deploy your strategy um so for us as well i, I used to work for a lot of uh, software companies before i started tech Rebel. And one of the key ingredients that I realized uh, would allow us, I mean, it wasn't really one of those things where I felt like it could be successful. It was more like, if we do it this way, then what happens, you know? For me, that was, what if our ethos was to partner with our clients? What if our ethos was to keep our clients first beyond uh, revenue, beyond anything else that we had to uh, tie ourselves to? Um, and what if we created this, uh, the business based off of that? Um, and I know it seems kind of implausible in this day and age, but you have to think like seven, six years ago, back in Pakistan, um, when we have a lot of agencies that, that would uh, take whatever project. I, I think it happens here as well. We have a lot of competitors, I'm not going to name them. Um, that still follow this ethos where they're like, you know, okay, just get the client in, whatever they pay, whatever they want, we're going to figure that out. On our side, we we don't want the client unless and, un- unless and until we understand that we're able to add value. If we can't add value, we'll say no to the client. Or if we feel even throughout the journey, like when we're working on a product and we feel like we're not adding value anymore and we're actually becoming a frustration for the client, we'd actually refund the entire project and be like, okay, you move your way, here's the source code, here's whatever we've done for you, take it to somebody else that is able to resonate more with you. Um, so that was the initial uh, thesis behind the inception of Tech Revel. But um, obviously we've, we've evolved a lot, uh, we've scaled a lot, we've added a lot of people, we have now 350 people um, based on different locations. Um, so, but I think our, our overall, uh, ethos and objective has stayed the same, which is one of the biggest reasons why we have zero negative reviews anywhere where we have the highest reviews on clutch, which is like Garner for B2B companies, um, where we are the top rated company uh, in North America, the seventh fastest growing company in Houston, the, um, 64th in South, uh, Southwest in, in North America, um, and we started from Pakistan. So I think um, um, what we have to understand is that you don't necessarily need to create a tremendous leap. Um, 
incremental leaps is completely okay. So um, what you're looking at, so when you're when you're starting a business um, and you're starting to understand what your market, and, and you kind of mentioned yourself, um, it's Podster kind of, you know, uh, pivoting to podcast solution. So how many other media companies are there that are using podcasts as a way to kind of market themselves? Um, I'm assuming maybe 100 or 150 or perhaps in under a thousand at least. Then how many try to create this uh, sort of, uh, you know, experience and in sort of individualistic perspective and, and then pivot towards a positioning uh, approach towards, uh, you know, getting businesses out the door. Um, I remember I was... Uh, I don't know if I, this is the right time to say this, but eh, I will. Um, so there was um, this interview that I had for a podcast where uh, the gentleman, uh, he was, his uh, sales was, uh, you know, essentially on the positioning side of the company. And he was like, during COVID, we used to have podcasts like all the time. Uh, but during COVID, I realized one thing, which is that, uh, you know, these interviews that we'd have with these companies and CEOs and CMOs in, in terms of like what they wanted the positioning to be, would be very similar to the podcast that we would have. So I decided that we should flip our sales funnel on top and, and be like, hey, every client that we're getting, and they have a perspective of brand culture and vision and positioning. So why don't we treat every, uh, you know, every sale as a potential opportunity for a podcast? Um, so that way he was able to get from, I think about uh, 10,000 followers to like 10 million followers, um, just by having, putting out so much content and then additionally being able to kind of understand what positioning is for, uh, different brands and what they feel and what they're really, really about. Um, so I think it's just the incremental changes that allow your business to become successful. Um, and that's what we do. We try to keep on changing and evolving and keep growing. Hmm. Okay, that's uh, that's very insightful. So the differentiation can be about how. So I think one of the key things that you did differently is that almost um, radical partnership with the clients to do this complete transparency, honesty. Uh, and I guess this kind of creates the word of mouth first and foremost, as you were very proudly saying about the reviews. And then um, that's a, that becomes a positioning on its own from a differentiation point of view. So that's one of the key success factors, even though you maybe you didn't, the what wasn't very um, specifically, as you were saying, differentiated, uh, but how you were doing it was the real um, success factor. Um, so you have to realize that it's, it's not, so I have this thing in my uh, vision statement, which is called individualistic collectivism. It's an oxymoron, but like the idea here is that, um, in order to uh, substantiate your goals or in order to uh, move further uh, down the progress path for yourself, like as an individual, you have to first think about the collective. Uh, you have to first think about what value can you add the higher sort of uh, whoever you're trying to service, right? And then from that, derive whatever is good for you. Um, so what do I mean by that? I mean, uh, in terms of like action items. Uh, we were building an application for an underserved community in Baltimore City, um, which was uh, for African Americans and and uh, you know how their kids can have mentorship programs with like uh, uh, police officers. So we partnered with the client to the extent of uh, slashing their costs to the level where we were cost to cost. 
uh, we I personally went out there and and uh, you know sat with the client in, in meetings with senators and and uh, congressmen to kind of push this this whole perspective forward. Um, and we had like several events together where we were sponsoring that event and in yeah, and, and sort of uh, you know in lieu with him. Uh, and what did that get us? Not only did this get get us like national PR. Uh, we were selected for a uh, world changing idea award from fast company um, which is not something that small companies do like other companies that were on the list were ibm hp and others uh and because of that uh and because of like not just that but some of the other sort of uh components that we did um, with other clients um, we just recently got nominated by forbes for uh one of the best startups to work for uh within the top 200 list where uh, like aside from us we have open excel which released chat gpt and others that are behind us on that list and uh to sort of get to a point where you can create this uh this presence yes but also this mindset in your employees uh, i'll give an example just two weeks ago we had a, a hackathon in our organization um, where we had 300 uh, people in our organization sort of compete to uh, build products. And these guys, within two weeks, uh, I think less than two weeks, some of them actually did uh, the whole thing in one week, were able to present products that, you know, take months to deliver. But they worked day and night to create these inspirational products that we can now take to the market, obviously giving them equity in them. Uh, and and uh, some like I think we selected about six startups from our own uh, employees within the company to take and, and sort of build it and sort of uh, get investments on it. Um, so when you start working with this mindset of of uh, you know disruption or incremental change throughout the organization, and we're able to push it uh, successfully uh, as a culture. Uh, that's when you start to see change throughout. Because as an individual, if I were to, as, a, as an employer or as the co-founder, if I were to be, if I were to be like, hey, my word is, is, is it, and it's either my word or the highway, or like, you know, you have to listen to me, or you have to yada, yada, yada. No, if you do that, then you kill creativity. Then you kill that mindset of inspiration and change. So what you have to do is be like, hey, I'm only human, and I can be wrong. And if I'm wrong, you tell me that creates something drastically different and changed. Mm-hmm. And and not only um, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to sort of pivot away from the work aspect, but not only are we exceptionally good at creating great leaders within our organization now, but we've created we have been able to embed this this mindset, which I mentioned. Uh, one of the big things for me is. Uh, social change where I want to improve the lives of people that don't have enough uh, that don't have what I had so it's 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 so beautiful to see employees take up that mantle and actually like go out there and volunteer and then you know you see that happen in front of you and and to a certain degree you're, you're happy that you inspire that change but to a certain degree also you're like if something happens to me this is still gonna continue you know, these people are going to change lives. And, you know, if we hadn't done this, it wouldn't be here. So mm. that culture, that, that mindset, that was those values, when, when they start to disseminate within your employees, suddenly you don't feel like the boss. Mm. You're just, you know, uh, there to help the next wave of talent come along. Mm. That's, 
what I really love about what you're just saying that it's, um, and I think that's what makes um, employees not just employees and just really feeling a different kind of connection to the company or the brand or the brand culture that we were talking about is that you're providing a platform for them to be able to find meaning for their lives. So it's not only a job, it's actually Tech Revolt is becoming a platform for it to be a- able to actualize their dreams. And this is one of the reasons in, in, uh, in a hackathon they do work day and night knowing that if they really get something interesting that they can own it they can be a part of it or doing good in terms of social change these are actually um, um, really different emotional bonds that that goes beyond i work here and i sell my time and i get paid for it um uh, so it comes across that you really bring your brand culture to life in your in your company, which to be very honest is not very common. So these rituals and artifacts, can you tell us a little bit more what other rituals that you think um, are helping uh, the team to feel the culture? Hmm. So um, okay, so I think everything that I've tried uh, to actually do has uh, f- not really succeeded in the best way. So. Um, I mean, I, again, I've I've read uh, a lot of books about culture and sort of how to integrate that. I've, I, I mentioned in the last conversation that I had that I was reading this book about Samsung, and before that it was uh, GE, and before that it was I've read the biography of Steve Jobs and you know some of the other sort of iconic characters that have supposedly created a culture that has uh, you know stayed even when they're gone or sort of entrenched itself to a level where they don't even have to be there and people are still you know sort of doing it i don't think um it's uh i mean yes you can intend for it but i think more so than not than anything like i think i mentioned in the last conversation as well like that it stems from you um without you noticing um, especially when it's a small company, perhaps when it becomes bigger, then you just have to make sure that people under you have the same sort of mm-hmm. approach for their subordinates. Um, but it's like, you know, everything that you do kind of trickles back. So I'll explain how obsessed I, I am with culture. So um, uh, I was in LA, uh, this was for the interview at NBC, uh, and I was feeling a little bit sort of an imposter syndrome situation. So um, I decided to get some help. So I saw this like, uh, you know, um, church of Scientology in f- on the Hollywood Boulevard. And I was like, okay, well, why not? So I went in for like a test and stuff, uh, which is one of their sort of free thing that they offered to convert you. I didn't convert, but um, what I did get was uh, I stole their um, work chart that they have. I actually didn't say I borrowed, so to speak. I was supposed to bring it back the next day. Um, so they have this org chart where they have, uh, you know, like one side, which is for missionaries, the other side, which is for, um, you know, luminaries or people that kind of graduate by learning more and more about religion and teach other people. So for me, when I was, and it was very, very specific. Like if you, uh, I mean, there's, so for me, like, I always try to take something positive from everything, right? I learn from everything and anybody. So for me, when I saw that and I saw how structured it was, like, you know, you can climb certain layers based on certain targets that are set based on certain inspirations that you get based on certain certifications, based on certain validations. 
and then you keep growing within the audience. I was like, if we could copy this, right? So if we can create, we can. I was thinking more like along that. the lines of a religion, perhaps. Yeah. But like, yeah, I okay. mean, we could. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, not to kind of stigmatize the entire situation, but like, how would it be if people were to believe in tech rebel like they believe in? Uh, I don't want to be blasphemous in this time of the month and all, but um, I, I'm not like uh, you know. There's, I mean, there's no. Uh, um, really believe in that there is meaning behind. Yeah, like there sort is of tie yourself to exactly. a point where where it almost becomes illogical. Almost um, like a in, cult, right? Like yes. actually, culture comes from the word cult, as in we belong here. It's actually that I think the word that we are looking for is this idea of belonging. Yeah, without almost too much questioning it, because in the essence, you think you believe in the same thing. Yeah, exactly. A group of people who believe in the same thing who are okay to belong to that environment and I think belonging sense of belonging is one of the top uh, things that makes people happy I mean we are social beings and again when you're looking at the organizational culture if there is no sense of belonging there is no way that that um, brand culture will manifest itself so it's uh, exactly it's it's interesting uh, and I think with with religions or culture cults or anything that around that they also play with this idea of our need of sense of belonging Mm -hmm. and our need of um uh, so when you look at and i'm pretty sure that you're um uh, well aware of it it starts with trust and i think what you were saying um at the bottom of the hierarchy or in terms of like the essence of everything to be able to build any kind of create innovation in a company, you have to have trust. And you walking the talk, and this is what you were saying, that like this transparency and modeling everything is one thing that source of creating trust. On top of that, you create the sense of belonging. On top of that, you create the idea of progress and commitment and individual autonomy. And then people start being innovative or creative or all that other things that we actually always want from employees to be. Yeah, I think uh, at the core, you need to be authentic. Whatever it is that you believe in, if you know, you're know you driven by your own personal greed, then that's fine. Be authentic about it. I've seen several multi-billion dollar companies where the CEO is super obsessed with growth and, and you know he's super obsessed with, with just getting the numbers. Mm-hmm. And that's created a culture of hyper, hyper focused people that are just driven to achieve numbers mm-hmm. without any question of uh, the moral ethics of what they're doing mm. and all that stuff. And that's fine. That's fine. Totally. That's completely okay. Exactly. And it works. And I've seen those companies grow exponentially, right? Like, I mean, um, take Amazon, for example. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it's it's completely okay, but you have to be authentic. You cannot mm-hmm. pretend to be something that you're not because that's just going to confuse people. Exactly. And you don't need confusion when you're trying to have one vision, one perspective. Mm-hmm. So you, so I guess in a way what I'm trying to say is that culture starts from whoever starts the company and they need to be very, very sure of what they're about mm-hmm. and personify that and live it. And and that's it. Then the rest of it follows. Yeah, you can have. Uh, I mean, I, I recently took uh, our sales and marketing team for this um, sales boot camp. I like to call it, where I made them jump off a cliff and go through ice bathing and sort of tortured them with a lot of other stuff just to get them out of their comfort zone so they could be more confident. 
Um, and I was like, this is going to ch- drastically change everything. It didn't. It didn't. And I don't think even 10 others like this is going to really help because it's not the drastic changes that impact your culture. Like, I mean, yes. I mean, if it's so assume, OK, um, the economy shifts and suddenly all your clients are gone, which happened during COVID, right? Every other company that I knew of uh, was like, we're going to slash salaries. We're going to do this. We're going to hire, fire so many people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we discussed that. We, we were very open with our employees. We were like, hey, this could happen. So be prepared. But when the time came, we slashed our own salaries 100% and nobody felt any difference whatsoever. The clients came back. We partnered with our clients. We were like, hey, you don't have the money. That's fine. We'll keep working. You can pay us later. And then suddenly, you know, the whole thing shifted and people started to like get back together. There, there was obviously like this, uh, uh, you know, the U.S. sort of boosted their economy with the investments and stuff. And then suddenly uh, we were probably the only company that like from an employee standpoint, noticed no difference. So like this was a drastic event. The way we reacted to it was the same way as we've reacted to everything else. So it was consistent with our ethos and the way we approach things. And that's the expectation that we've created for our employees that they're taking care of. Whatever happens, we'll be there for them. So um, you, you should understand what you're all about and then just be you. Yeah, I think everybody should apply for a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, your personal journey um, and um, the how you see uh, mental health actually in this part of the region being still a bit of a uh, stigma in terms of not everybody's comfortable uh, bringing that up. But we were having this random chat in terms of how we really feel versus how we kind of act and uh there is a bit of chicken and egg of course um but tell us a little bit about your view of mental health your journey as a leader and what it means especially in the corporate world where everybody is talking about corporate well-being um the the talk is starting but uh we are i'm not really sure if it's really really um coming to life in terms of uh, understanding acceptance and being able to support people with their mental well-being. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I so I think um, um, like in terms of uh, you know uh, overall growth and and understanding. So I'll, I'll sort of relate it to myself uh, so I can explain it better, I guess. Um, and that's how it works. Um, so when when we were growing as a company initially um you know obviously um there is there was still i mean like i mentioned the nbc interview that that happened like three years ago or something i was having self-doubt and stuff but i would always push it um down like every time and and, uh, so i'm an introvert um to be fair um and who's uh chosen this position of our uh, cmo uh, just because um, I'm good at it, I guess, to a certain degree. Um, but additionally, my founder is a CTO who's, uh, you know, on the other side of like sort of socially, he's not uh, as uh, apt or, or sort of as experienced as I am. Um, so every time I have to socialize or every time I have to network or be on these public sort of sessions, 
um, it's difficult for me to, um, you know, get myself um, to enable myself uh, to kind of get here. Um, and there, there's a certain component of social awkwardness and, and then uh, negative self-talk and, and all the stuff that comes in, which is prepackaged and delivered to you in your head, um, you know, with your brain sort of leading the charge. Um, so for a very, very long time for me, um, I, I was very um, aware of these things, but uh, quashed them. Like I, I wanted to push them down where I could not even feel it. Like build up a facade, right? Like fake it till you make it. And, uh, you know, make it so that every day is like uh, uh, you, you have like, you know, you have these like sayings like from... Um, uh, Shakespeare, life's a stage, we all play our part and all the other sort of uh, amazing people that keep telling you that it, it's fine to put up, you know, this this um, projection of who you are and who you're supposed to be. Um, I think uh, this started changing for me uh, two years ago when I started realizing that um, if I don't fix the root problem, if I if I don't really um, understand where everything... So for me, that essentially... Um, and I had to go through therapy because of it. Uh, for me, what started happening was I started losing interest and motivation. And I'd seen this happen before to me, so obviously I didn't want it to happen again and business to kind of go bust. Um, so I started seeing a therapist and I was like, what's happening to me? Um, and through this experience and, and talking to a lot of people that I really admire and sort of believe in as mentors, um, I, I started to realize that I had shifted away from my why, um, which was created when I was a kid, um, when we had gone through hard times. I had made a promise to myself that if, if I were to get somewhere, if I were to have what I don't have right now, um, in this situation where I'm powerless and, and, you know, my family's broke and I can't do anything about it, it's like 15, 16, if I get to a point where I have enough, I'm going to make myself responsible for not just giving to my family, but giving to people around me that don't even have what I have, which was still an education, still an upbringing, still some core values that my family has instilled in me, um, which other people are not blessed with. Uh, they're not starting out with. So I made a promise to myself that I'm going to put myself through everything that I could possibly, that other people shouldn't have to put themselves to, like working 14 hours a day or 16 hours a day, two jobs, or even right now, you know, my day starts at like 12, 1 p.m. And then I'm like in front of the computer to like 5 a.m. Um, I don't have to do it, but it's just that if I don't do it, then who will? What if some nobody does it? And, and there's like thousands of people that I could have helped, but I didn't um, because I was just too comfortable or I was just too distracted or whatever. So with that sort of ethos in mind, um, you know, um, that's how I started to build this this company, this persona, this mindset, this objective, this motivation that I have every day. I had started to disconnect from that, where I was starting to become too, uh, like I mentioned before, too caught up in the day-to-day -day or everything else and, and to get to that point where I would have a billion-dollar company and then I would help these people. And 
when I started to realize that and I started to lean more into that empathy part of it, that's when the real scalability started to happen. And that's when I started to notice real difference in terms of modulating my emotions, modulating my struggles and everything else. And things started to become a lot more easier and I started to become more comfortable to a point where other people started noticing and and I could see that. And I think that's what people need to sort of understand. Um, What is their core objective? And and stop looking for your purpose. Um, I think when you were younger, uh, things are more clearer. There aren't a lot of distractions and, and variables that you cannot control. Um, so connect back with how you were then, uh, understand what you really wanted, uh, at that point, it could be really stupid. It doesn't matter. But even if you can connect to that stupid, stupid selfish for yourself, like where, where things were illogical, um, you will find this very, very objective truth about yourself. Mm. And then everything else becomes easier because, um, if you can connect with that and if you can pursue that, um, it doesn't matter if you're having a bad day or it doesn't matter if you have, um, whatever, right? Like, um, depression starts to lift, um, your ADHD starts to be in control, your, uh, whatever mental illness you have, uh, if it's, uh, psychological, if it's not physiological, like it's not really affecting your brain in any way in terms of a, like, you know, mental sort of component that's missing, um, you start to evolve as a human being and start to understand what triggers these things and how can you um, stop it when that happens yeah that's um that's very powerful actually what you just said in terms of going back to your younger self it actually this is a time that we're kind of more authentic isn't it in terms of like we didn't learn all those social norms the expectations and um being able to connect to that version of yourself to hear what they were aspiring to do and what they found meaning in and then maybe bridging that gap with what you want to do now uh is is a very good advice in terms of um uh, finding meaning in everything that you're doing now awesome thanks yeah um Abir, is there anything that you would wish I would ask but I didn't ask? Hmm. No, I think you you asked a lot of good questions. Um, But I think um, one of the questions that I generally get uh, all the time that I keep thinking about is uh, what advice I would give to, uh, you know, people out there uh, that are having somewhat of a similar struggle in terms of entrepreneurship, whether they have a business, whether they're trying to get one, uh, they're getting started. Um, And I always try to keep coming up with like new answers uh, to add on to sort of the list of answers that I've given before. Uh, And I was thinking about this again. Um, So I think... um, um, like in terms of um so there's uh, so obviously like okay so divide that so one is the people that are looking to start a business and they're sort of stuck in their uh, day-to-day um jobs um i think so um from the time that i i I, uh, you know sort of had that successful slash failed business at the age of 19 to the time where tech rebel found founded there were a lot of businesses in the middle that i started 
but I was more patient. So I realized that there was a component in me that I was lacking, which was the imp- which was patience to kind of see things through. So I started working on myself. Um, and I tried to kind of uh, learn more things and understand things that I did not know. Um, so whether it's finance or marketing or sales or whatever it is that I did not understand and I knew that I needed to know in order to have a successful business where I failed in the first one. So when you're in that stage of thinking about a business or figuring out what the business is going to look like, start working on yourself because at the end of the day, if you start the business, you are the business, right? You're the one man person, one person army until you get to 10 people or 20, whatever. And even then you're the source of inspiration, source of knowledge, source of leadership and all that stuff. So when you're trying to get to a point where you think like it's it's going to be something big, um, you can start creating assets from now. You don't have to wait till you leave your job and start a business, right? Um, you can start investing your time into a side gig. You can start to get certifications. You can start to learn. You can start taking courses. You don't have to wait till that point happens when you switch from a a job you know an employee to an employer Mm -hmm. that's not how it is um so and and for the people that have started a business and and they're struggling with it or they're trying to scale like i said look at incremental changes small small changes um you know in in every aspect of your business can yield exponential results like imagine you know in our company it's a development uh, house so like you know we have development design qa um you know sales marketing branding pr all the other sort of aspects if i can add a five percent incremental change in each department and these are like let's say five six departments that's a hundred percent increase overall in terms of our top line so you don't have to have a drastic change in one function right you just have to look at okay i'm at x how can i get to x plus 10 percent or five percent and then draw up that plan um for me uh and it was a conversation that i had earlier with another person that i really enjoyed the conversation with her um it was that i I remember like when I started the business and this was month three of our company um, where we leased in, um, two seats from a call center at uh, in Pakistan and we were leasing those seats for $10 uh, per seat. It was super ghetto, like super low key and, and not not the inception story. Like it was more, it was almost like the garage story. Like, you know, you start from your parents' garage, except in this case, it was sort of very ghetto. Um, so... When we started the business and we were in that situation where the lights would go out like every three hours in the entire day and we had to go to the roof just because it was it would get too hot and it's like 40 degrees. Um, in that situation, I, I sat in front of a laptop and drew up a five-year plan for us. And I put an Inc. 5000 on it and I put in all the sort of things that we have achieved now on that five-year plan and then divide it. And it's not just like I put the five-year plan and that's there, it's dead. No, I converted that into a one-year plan and then a monthly plan and then stuck to it. I'm not saying that I succeeded in all the goals that I set out for myself, but I put the goals down. So my perception at that time where I was like, we might fail. We had only one employee at that time um, and it could be a spectacular failure. My perception at that time was, what if we succeed? If we do succeed, 
then these are the areas that I want to make sure that we tap. What would, what would be really bad, and I've seen that with so many companies, if you succeed and you're so far away from where you set out to go mm-hmm. that you can't even see, you know, where mm. you're going. Mm. So keep that in mind when you're trying to build your business. That's amazing. In, um, in coaching, most of the time we start um, by asking what does success look like? And you'd be surprised, business leaders, very senior individuals, it's one of the toughest questions people don't have an answer to. And um, what you just said, when you were in the very, very early stages with one employee in the in the um, suburbs or of, of a small co- uh, country, um, you had that vision of what success looked like. And not only that, being able to visualize and identify what it is, starting from the bigger picture, and then you're creating the kind of the little stairs how to achieve that, even though the path changed a little bit, you knew where you wanted to go based on the core purpose that you had or the vision that you had. That's incredible, very inspiring up here. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, I'm very happy to, to know that you, uh, um, we ask you all the questions that was important for you to answer. And uh, that's been one of the most inspiring sessions that I think I had on the podcast so far. So I thank you so much for all the uh, interesting thoughts and experiences that you shared with our listeners. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.